The history of all hitherto existing society is the history of class struggles. Freeman and slave, patrician and plebeian, lord and serf, guildmaster and journeyman, in a word, oppressor and oppressed, stood in constant opposition to one another, carried on an uninterrupted, now hidden, now open fight, a fight that each time ended, either in a revolutionary reconstitution of society at large, or in the common ruin of the contending classes. So begins the Communist Manifesto of Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels. This is, and has been for quite some time, a basic doctrine of leftist thought. The world is viewed through power dynamics of bourgeoisie and proletariat. Many over the years have attempted to illustrate class dynamics in a more understandable form. There is, of course, the famous beehive illustrations of English serfdom. There are novels like Les Miserables and the collected works of Charles Dickens. There are propaganda speakers such as Emma Goldman or, more recently, Noam Chomsky. On stage there was Bertolt Brecht. All these polemics and polemicists attempted to illustrate the world of power dynamics to those not yet radicalized, who were and are often unimpressed by the words of Marx and Engels. To someone who is happy with their place in society, power dynamics are both hard to see and hard to believe in. A boss, for instance would prefer to believe that their employees follow commands by choice rather than coercion. And same goes for the landlord, who would much rather see their place in society as enabling habitation, rather than looming the constant threat of eviction over their tenants. For the uninitiated unbelievers, oftentimes what is necessary are not hard facts and figures, but a good story. And that's where the intersection of art and activism really lies because nowhere is the eternal class struggle more vivid, gruesome, and real than in the musical thriller about the demon barber Fleet Street. This is Take a Left, a series at the intersection of politics and musical theater, and in episode 5 we're talking about Sweeney Todd and class struggle. Sweeney Todd is a 1979 musical with music and lyrics by Stephen Sondheim and book by Hugh Wheeler, based on a play by Christopher Bond, which is in turn based on English folklore. Just like the vampires of Romania that represented the wealthy, metaphorically blood-sucking elite, the original legend of Sweeney Todd is a fascinating look into the politics of its day, politics that have stayed unnervingly relevant. Even before the show starts properly, it is politically loaded. When entering the original Broadway production, directed by Broadway royalty Hal Prince, the audience was greeted by a gigantic illustration of the English hierarchy. The show begins when two men literally tear the hierarchy down. The tearing of the hierarchy is combined with a sound we will hear often throughout the show, the shriek of a factory whistle. Set during the Industrial Revolution, the shriek comes to symbolize the many dead laborers of the era, as we hear it almost every time a murder is committed. Sweeney, as described in the opening verse, He shaved the faces of gentlemen who never thereafter were heard of again. This puts him in a fascinating position. He is in the service industry, specifically a service for men who can afford to outsource their shaving needs. But the service also puts him in a position where he momentarily has significant power over those above him in the hierarchy. Power in the form of a sharp razor at their naked throats. Sweeney, the new moniker of escaped prisoner for life Benjamin Barker, was once a happy barber who lived with his wife Lucy on Fleet Street. Unfortunately for him, the local judge took a liking to Lucy and framed Sweeney, sending him to Australia, 
so that he could get his hands on her. We are told through Sweeney's downstairs neighbor and owner of a failing meat pie shop, Mrs. Lovett, that Lucy killed herself soon after, but not before giving birth to a girl, Joanna, who now lives under the wardship of Judge Turpin. We learn quickly that Sweeney thinks little, not only of the corrupt judge, but of the whole system. At the top of the hole sit the privileged few, making mock of the vermin in the lower zoo, turning beauty into filth and greed! Having escaped and returned to London to find his wife dead and his daughter in the hands of the man responsible, Sweeney swears that he will take revenge on the judge and his right-hand man, the Beetle. Let them quake in their boots, Judge Turpin and the Beetle, for their hour has come. Before he can do so, he is entangled in a tricky situation when he is recognized by Pirelli, a competing neighbor. He kills Pirelli, and in trying to cover the murder up, gives Mrs. Lovett a wonderful idea. Well, you know me, bright ideas just pop into my head and I keep thinking. Sweeney will murder his barbershop clients, and Mrs. Lovett will bake them into meat pies, solving both of their problems. Immediate attention is paid to the rigidity of the social hierarchy of English society. Judge Turpin, our villain, is a member of the ruling class. Sweeney, Mrs. Lovett, and Anthony, all with employment of some sort, occupy a quasi-middle class, while the character only referred to as the beggar woman is perceived to be so low that Sweeney, an escaped convict without a penny to his name, can hardly bring himself to glance at her. It's also hard to ignore Lovett's aside in the opening of Act 2, as another indication of the importance of status. Not only that, every duo of characters is in some sort of master-slave relationship. Judge Turpin has his beetle, Pirelli is explicitly referred to as the master of Toby, Anthony steals Joanna, implying that she was once the property of Turpin and is now his, and Mrs. Lovett, while displaying agency throughout the show, does so only in service of Sweeney. Not only this, but Sweeney Todd has something to say about unjustified hierarchies and the orders we receive from those above us. At one point, Sweeney tells Lovett that she must I'll pound three times, three times, and then you, three times, if you... In another, Lovett, thinking off the top of her head, tells Toby that he must Know the secret, what makes the pie so sweet and tender? Three times. You must put the meat through the grinder three times. What is the significance of three? Well, none. It's arbitrary. The anti-hierarchical anarchists have argued that they do not wish to get rid of all hierarchies, just the unjustified ones. Within Sweeney Todd, we get to see examples of unjustified hierarchies, ones representing the ones we live through every day in which the ruling class give arbitrary commands to the laboring class. In the same way that the boss tells the worker how to do their job, Sweeney Todd shoves in our faces the ridiculousness of the orders we are coerced into following every day. Hair itself is an important symbol of the show. For instance, only two characters wear wigs. The young boy, Toby, who wears a long-haired wig in order to fool people into thinking that he's an authority on hair, and the corrupt Turpin in his official judicial role implying that the wig of a judge is nothing more than an attempt to fool the citizenry into viewing him as an authority on justice, when he is the very opposite of such. 
In the second act, a major component is the practice of asylum selling the hair off of madmen's heads, a horrific symbol of the way in which the bodies of the poor become products for the upper class. Another interesting factor of the portrayal of roles in society within Sweeney Todd comes in the finale of Act 1, A Little Priest, in which various members of society are characterized only by their roles, and this way the workers of the world are united in Sweeney and Lovett's declaration that Sweeney refers to himself often as just a barber, and he recognizes neither his own wife, when dressed as a beggar woman, nor his own daughter, when dressed as a sailor. Could this be a commentary on the way capitalistic societies rob us of our humanity? Knowing Sondheim? Probably. It is in the same song that Sondheim composes a quasi-manifesto for Sweeney and Lovett, who, borrowing heavily from Marx and Engel, declare that The story of the world, my it is worth noting that the show and Sweeney's arrival in London after exile in Australia is set a year after the publication of the Communist Manifesto and the very same year as Marx's arrival in London after his exile from Prussia. So what then is the world according to Sweeney Todd? The world according to Sweeney is grotesque. The horrors of the advent of capitalism and the arrival of the Industrial Revolution have led to a corrupt society where the rich profit off of the labor of ordinary people. Ordinary people who must sell their blood, sweat, and hair in order to barely survive. The world is a series of complex power dynamics in which we are all someone's master and someone else's slave. The world, as Sweeney says, there's a hole in the world like a great black pit, and the vermin of the world inhabit it, and its morals aren't worth what a pig could spit in And so Sweeney Todd does not judge Sweeney or his dreadful acts of revenge. In his final moments, Sweeney has brought himself and everyone close to him down, yes. But he has also achieved something. He has killed the corrupt judge. Instead of judgment, the survivors of Sweeney at the show's end simply offer us a practical warning. We are surrounded by potential Sweeneys. What exactly is a Sweeney? Which describes, well, a lot of us. Sweeney Todd differs from the Communist Manifesto in that it is not really a manifesto. It offers no practical solutions. Instead, it is agitation propaganda, giving a peek into the real world for the uninitiated, unbelieving audience member, who is left with this final bit of advice. To seek revenge may lead to hell. But everyone does it, and seldom as well. As Sweeney. Take a Left is created by me, Tai Sir, with art by Julie Haupt. And as always, special thanks to Jennifer Haupt. Thanks for watching, listening, or reading.